Well, the title of my presentation is Faith That Shields, which is kind of a play on words, shield of faith. And um, so if you'll go to Ephesians 6, that's where we're going to be. And this is actually a kind of dangerous for me, is to put me in a situation where we've got great object lessons. Um, because I can kind of like find the Holy Spirit anywhere. Um, I'm always looking for the kingdom of God. I could probably find it in a kumquat, and I don't even know what a kumquat is. So it's kind of tough to give me a, an object lesson, and it's hard for me not to... Um, I want to exposit the text only and not read into it something that's not there. So you guys are going to have to hold me accountable, but I think we can do it. The text that I have is above all, or in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And it's talking about a specific portion of the, of the, of the armor, and it's a shield, and it's the shield of faith. And faith, um, there's lots of wonderful faith stories, isn't there? There's faith stories everywhere. And, um, and one I heard was of a, of a nun who was working hospice. She was working hospice, taking care of those who are dying. And her car ran out of gas between two of the patients. It wasn't a big deal because she could see the gas station from where she was at. And so she went to the gas station to get some gas to place in her car. And the attendant had to explain to her that somebody had, told, had stolen their, their can. They had nothing to put gasoline in. But she was resourceful and she remembered that in her car... She had a stainless steel bedpan. She's like, I can just put the gas in that. So she got it and she got the gas and she was going back and she was placing it in her car when two guys are walking by. And one looks at the other and he says, now that's what I call faith. <laughs> and if you think about it, that's kind of the way the world looks at us, isn't it? They think that we have faith in something we squeezed out of ourselves. They think that we're just putting our faith in our own imaginings and a God that we have created, when they don't understand that what we have is the legitimate, real article, it's just sometimes being administered through kind of a unique method, which would be you and me. But faith is a mighty thing. Now, the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. First of all, it's a shield. Pretty straightforward. And a shield, we know, is to defend against attack. So I guess one of the first things um, that we need to understand is why are we given a shield? I mean, if somebody just walked up to you and said, here, here's your shield, I'd be thinking, okay, let's keep talking. Why, why do I need a shield? Why are you giving me a shield? Is there something else you need to tell me? Yeah, we're under attack. And even though we all know that we're at war, if I was asking, you guys know we're at war? Yeah, we're at war. I know who the enemy is. The enemy is Satan. I think we only know that on the surface of our brain. I don't think we really know it deep inside because we continuously get offended with God when we find ourselves in the fray. It goes something like this. Well, God, I trusted you. I did exactly what you said, and now all hell is breaking loose in my life. And we get upset at God. When the obvious conclusion is if, if all hell is breaking loose in your life, maybe your life's full of hell and it needs to be broken loose. You see, we don't think about that. But it's the truth, especially when we first come to Christ, isn't it? 
When we first come to him, we've come to him with a life that we have invested in the wrong things. We have a worldview that is all jacked up and it's all messed up. And we have addictions and we have temptations and we have bad coping mechanisms and bad speech patterns and everything else. We've got all this hell in our life. And then when we give our life to Jesus Christ and he has to start breaking it up, we get offended. But then when we get that all cleared out and we've repented and he's dealt with addictions and he's dealt with mindsets and he's moved us forward, then we're thinking, okay, now I can move forward. And what happens? All hell breaks loose in our life. And once again, we get offended with God. It's like, Lord, I've repented. I've done everything you said. And now I've actually gone out to be kind of a, an aggressive Christian. And now all hell's breaking loose. My, my boss is gunning for my job. My, my aunt won't talk to me. My neighbor's going to sue me. What's going on? I'm doing the right things. Why is hell breaking loose in my life? Well, did we forget that the Lord placed us here? to establish his kingdom on earth, and to do that, we are to disrupt the kingdom of hell, that we're to kick in the gates of hell. And I don't think Satan's going to like that. So the Lord says, here's your shield. Be ready. The attack is coming. And it's okay. It's what we've been made for. We've been given a shield. Now, the rest of the verse reads odd to me. I don't know if it reads odd to you. It reads odd to me. It says, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, or if you have the new King James, of which you can quench all of the fiery darts of the evil one. I think if I was Paul and I was writing this, I would say, in, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you would be able to deflect all of the piercing arrows. I mean, what's up with flaming missiles? I mean, this is kind of sounding like a bad D&D game, right? I extinguish your flaming missiles with my shield of faith, bring up my cave troll. You know, it just sounds odd. It just doesn't sound... What's up with flaming missiles? Well, we need to understand what these flaming missiles are. They really existed in the time of Paul. The flaming missiles uh, were not fiery arrows the way we think of fiery arrows. I mean, you know, probably if you watch an old Western, you know, they light their arrows on fire and shoot them, which, if you think about it, it's stupid because... You know, it's like, quick, shoot flaming arrows. You know, light the arrow, poof, you know, it catches on fire. A little poof of ash, you know, hits them, poof, poof, what's going on? They're lighting their arrows on fire, idiots. You know, it's like, that's not the way it worked. The reason they don't call it an arrow is because you have to take it and wrap it. You have to wrap it in some form of a rag or a gauze or something like that. And then they would dip it in pitch, something that was able to sustain a flame. And then they would light it on fire and shoot it through the air. It's like a bellows as it flies through the air, the oxygen is just superheating it so that when it lands, it doesn't even have to stick. The pitch will splatter and it will go everywhere. And it can get up in the eyes and in the face. And it had a specific purpose. Um, Charlie, you see the, the first picture. Flaming arrows were actually a military technology that was meant to take on this, which is called a phalanx. It was established by the Greeks and obviously, it's from the movie 300, which is a lousy movie, it was really depressing. I didn't like it. There's no valorous men in there, just a bunch of macho jerks. But it did have a cool picture. And that's of a phalanx, where they would have their shields and they would have their spears. Now, the purpose of the flaming arrow really wasn't to kill. When you have 80 men, 100 men who are moving as one, they found out that they, the Greeks found out, Alexander found out he could take the world. 
when 80 men act like one, they're a giant. So what they did is they came up with the flaming missiles. Because when it hits these shields, that pitch just goes flying. And it causes that, that formation to scatter. Okay? So you understand the kind of the flaming missile concept? All right. Now, the flaming missiles came about, and then, but Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Now, it's not a shield like that, and a lot of times when we think of shields, we think of them like that, metal shields. Or we think of the shield, if you, if you Google shield of faith, you'll, you'll end up with the ones that have the pointed bottoms. Those really weren't developed for hundreds of years. Those were meant for, for knights mounted on horseback. The, the word that he uses actually is the Greek word for door because it was a wooden shield just like this. Mike is out there somewhere. Mike made these for us, did the research, did the whole dweeb thing. This is made just like a Roman shield. We took the, the wood and you soak it and you wrap it and you dry it and you put the reinforcing straps on the back and then you've got the metal boss so that you can protect the hand and it's wrapped in, in, a, in a, a brass or a bronze um, trapment to hold on the surface, which would be nagahide or leather. Or actually, it would be leather. We use nagahide because we're cheap. But um, there would be leather on the surface. Now, the purpose for this shield is specifically to defend against flaming arrows. Because when the arrow's coming, when it hits, it's hitting leather. And if you know you're the first ones up, you might even dip your shield in water so that when it hits, it doesn't splatter. It, it doesn't deflect off the shield. It actually sinks into the leather and is immediately quenched. This was used for a new form of warfare, which is the next one, Charlie. And it was something that was called the Roman um, testudo or tortoise. With this kind of a shield, they would end up in a formation. Your front line would lock their shields together like this. Second row would then put their shields up on top like this. Side people are, are flanking the sides. And now what you have is a formation that's almost impenetrable. So what was originally used to disrupt a formation can no longer do it. With this, believe it or not, just with this different shield and with this different formation, Rome now storms the world and takes it over. That's a formation with 16 men. Imagine if it's 100. You've got 100 men moving as one. And they're able to extinguish flaming missiles. Now, so we know that the shield, this is actually Paul is writing about, and that's what makes it, that's why I love the Bible, is that people are always trying to, especially um, non-believers, are always trying to, to attack the Bible, saying, well, no, it's written hundreds and hundreds of years after, and it's not accurate. Every detail about the Bible is time-specific, written at the appropriate time, and reflects the appropriate... This was, the, was cutting-edge military tactics in the time of Paul. And so he's writing about it. So he says, taking up the shield. Now we understand, why do we need a shield? Because we're going to get attacked. What's up with flaming missiles? Well, it was specifically to um, produce chaos in the ranks. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? It says that Satan goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Why does the lion roar? It roars to get the flock to scatter, doesn't it? It roars in hoping that it'll freeze one little, one little lamb. It will just be frozen in fear and will be separate from the rest of the pack. That somehow that it will cause one to flee. And as soon as the one is off on its own, then the lion attacks. Well, Satan does the exact same thing. It says that he is the liar and the father of lies. It says that he is the great accuser. And it says... Um, um, that he's, he's, he's a deceiver. 
Well, deceivers and accusers and liars all have the same thing in common, their mouth. And we need to start recognizing that the weapons of our enemy, the weapon of Satan, is a flaming arrow. It's a dirty bomb, isn't it? It doesn't have to be accurate. It just has to be dirty. And that's exactly the way Satan fights. He fights dirty with lies and with deception. They don't even have to be very good lies, do they? If you think about it, and if you think about the last time you fell into sin, right before that sin, you bought into a lie. And it was a stupid lie too, wasn't it? I don't know about you, but I've fallen for like some of the stupidest. You know, it's, it's things like this. It's like, well, I've been so good for so long, I deserve this. Right? As if sin is a reward for righteousness. That's just stupid, isn't it? Or maybe you've used this one. It's not hurting anybody else. It's just me. Why don't you tell that to Achan's wife and to his family? The Bible is clear in story after story after story that one man's sin will contaminate his whole family, maybe his whole tribe, maybe his whole nation. Our sin does not just affect us, does it? It's amazing the kind of stupidity that we'll fall for if we drop our shield. I was thinking earlier this week, and this thought just dawned on me. Have you ever wondered why that the people that want to kill babies want to save prairie dogs? What's up with that? They're really stupid lies. Do you remember, I remember the um, Planned Parenthood and the whole pro-choice movement. If you remember, they had a bumper sticker for a while. Pro-choice, pro-child. How stupid is that? I love kids so much, I want to just kill them. But we fall for stupidity all the time. Satan does, he's not even that clever. I mean, I don't want to underestimate the, the, the power of the enemy. I'm just, we don't need to overestimate our intelligence. Satan takes us out with foolish weapons. This is one that I'm hearing all the time, and maybe you've been hearing this one. Well, if God is so good, then why is there evil? Have you heard that one? What's the assumption? That God is the one who's making evil. That it's God's fault. And this is one of our biggest ones. Satan loves to cast blame, doesn't he? Started in the garden with Adam and Eve and the serpent. There's always this idea of blame casting. Somebody says, well, if God is so good, then why is there evil? This answer is simple. You. Me. We're sinners. We rebel against a good God. He created it and he said everything was good. And then we rebelled against him and we usher in evil. Don't blame God for evil. It's our fault. Quit shifting blame. And we even do that as Christians sometimes. See, we know we've been given a shield because we are really at war. And we really have someone who wants to take us out. And now we understand the flaming missiles is a dirty bomb that's being cast at us, but we're to enter into the battle. So then why don't we enter into the battle? Most of the time, if you were to ask somebody, it's like this. Why aren't you into the battle? It's because this is all God gave me. <laughs> right? I go into battle, but this is my shield. I don't have much faith. And this is the lie, isn't it? Everybody's about, well, it's the amount of faith you have. It's all, well, brother, you need more faith. You don't have enough faith, brother. What a lie. Because think about it. What if God played into this lie? 
I mean, I've got, well, God, I'd go into the battle, but this is, all, this is all you gave me. And he comes, well, how big a shield do you want? I mean, I know what I, infinity. I want an infinity shield. I want an, inf an infinitely wide, infinitely tall. I want an infinitely, th I want the infinity shield. Now, is this faith in God? No, this is faith in faith. This is faith in the shield. Jesus, Jesus attacked this concept, didn't he? He attacked it when he had come to his disciples and he said, if your brother comes and he sins against you seven times in one day and yet he repents and comes, you must forgive him. Now, we've been jaded seven times. We're thinking seven, what big deal, seven. We, we talk in trillions now, right? But think about it. Your brother comes up, smacks you in the face and then says, oh, dude, I'm sorry, man. I'm just under a lot of stress. Please forgive me. All right, I forgive you. Bam! Dude, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's my wife. You know, I don't know. Bam! I'm sorry. Bam! I'm sorry. Bam! I'm sorry. Bam! Bam! You're finally going. You know what they said? Is they said, Lord, increase our faith. What does it say that Jesus did? Jesus didn't say, oh, okay. Bingo, bingo, bingo. You got more faith. That's not what he did. What does it say? He says, no. If you had the faith of a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea, and it would be moved. Now, I've been watching the news a long time, and I haven't heard any accounts of anybody casting any mountain into the sea. God's been pretty clear. Nobody even has a faith of a mustard seed. It's not about the amount of faith. It's not about the amount. It's about the object of our faith. You see, if we, if we are saying, well, you know what? It's the amount of faith. I don't have enough faith. What we're saying is, God, you shortchanged me. I'd be doing what you've told me to do, but this is all you gave me. And what are we doing? We're blaming God. You didn't give me enough. When the Bible is very specific, it tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 3, God has dealt to each of us a measure of faith. Are we saying God gave us the wrong amount? God knows exactly what he gave us. The thing is, is not the amount of faith. That is a lie. It is whom we have the faith in. It's the object of that faith. Faith is powerful. Think about it. We send all of our kids to college on the leftovers of the faith that we have in the lottery. We have faith. We just have it in stupid places. Think about where people are putting their faith. People are putting their faith in weird areas. When the object of our faith is supposed to be Christ. It is supposed to be our faith in Christ, isn't it? But you see, Satan has attacked that. It's not God that brought you. Here was evolution. Now there is something foolish. Now I know I just hassled. I, some of you guys, the hair went up on the back. Because we've been programmed about evolution. We've been programmed and we've been programmed and we've been programmed. But I mean, seriously, think about it for a moment that something came from nothing, that life comes from non-life, that sexual reproduction comes from non-sexual reproduction, that order comes from chaos, that intelligence comes from accidents. This doesn't make sense, does it? And yet how many people are staking their eternal future by placing their faith in a very foolish theology called evolution? What is the object of our faith? 
If the object is Christ, the Bible says that if we have faith in Christ, we are, we are justified, Galatians 2. By the power of faith in Christ, we are sanctified, Acts chapter 26. By faith in Christ, we are declared the righteousness of God in Philippians. We are declared sons of God. We are declared to have the promise of an inheritance in Galatians. And it says that we have, by faith in Christ, access to the throne of God in the heavenlies. It's not the amount of faith. Where are we placing our faith? Faith is extremely powerful when it's put in the right place. Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter of faith, says this, that the saints of old, through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And it's not because the saints of old were supermen. It says they were men just like you and me. They didn't have more faith. They just exercised the faith they were given and they placed it in the right place. You have faith. You've got plenty of faith. I've got plenty of faith. God did not shortchange us. But are we practicing that faith? Are we engaging that faith? Because remember, it says, above all, taking up the shield of faith. Taking up is a continuous action. You notice up to this point, it says, having put on, having gird your loins, having put on the shield, having shod your feet. That was a once done, perfected, perfected action, right? If you were running into battle and the guy next to you was all of a sudden to stop, drop, and pull off his shoes, start putting them on again, what are you doing? I'm continuously strapping the gospel to my feet. You'd be going, well, stop it. You're going to get us killed. Get up. You don't have to do that. When we're running into battle, all right, everybody's pants don't keep falling down. What are you doing? I'm continuously girding my loins with truth. Well, stop it. You're going to lose something. You don't have to continuously do that. Why? Because the truth is the truth. It does not change. It doesn't matter what year it is. It's not like this week I got to go, huh, I wonder if adultery is a sin this week. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because if it's a sin yesterday, then it's a sin today. It's a sin tomorrow. That does not change. Our righteousness, do we have to keep putting it on? No. We put it on once. Why? Because is it self-righteousness? No, it's Christ-righteousness. And it's bestowed, it's imparted to us because of what Jesus did upon the cross. And when we receive it, he places his righteousness upon us. Do we need to improve upon this? It's the righteousness of Christ. So that when the accuser of the brethren comes along, when Satan comes to attack and he starts to accuse us, it's like, bring it, buddy. This is the righteousness of Christ. I don't need to put anything else on. I don't need to reinforce this. This is perfect, holy righteousness imparted to me because my Savior loves me. Point your crooked finger in the face of my holy Savior. There's no sense in strapping anything else on. We've got what we need. 
We don't have to keep putting the gospel upon our feet because the gospel does not change. Paul even warned, if anybody is to come up to you and present to you a gospel that is different from the one that we have given you, even if it be an angel that presents this gospel to you, let him be accursed. There is one gospel. There is one gospel. There is one name under heaven by which men may be saved. It's Jesus Christ. Those things are done. But the shield... This we have to practice with, don't we? A shield you have to pick up. And you saw the formation. You can imagine. The shield's, I don't know, it's a couple pounds. I don't know how much it weighs. Wet it, it's going to be a little heavier. And you're going to march in like this. Well, after a while, that's going to start burning. But you can't afford to put it down now, can you? When there's flaming arrows coming down on your head. It's like, oh gosh, my arms, poof, you know, it doesn't work. You've got to keep practicing. You've got to keep lifting. You've got to keep it up. There's this idea that we've got to press on until we reach the goal, right? But come on, guys. We already know this. Don't we do this in every other aspect of our life? You're men. You know how to get the job done. If you've been around any time at all, you know how to keep the lights on. You know how to get the mortgage payment done. You knew how to find the job. You knew how to convince some woman that she should spend the rest of her life with you. <laughs> you made it happen. If you want a big screen TV, I bet you're going to get a big screen TV. We know how to get something done in the natural world. So how come when we cross over into the faith world, our testicles fall off, we become a bunch of spiritual eunuchs? Because you know how it goes. You're talking to a brother. Man, you've been, you been in the Word? Oh, I'd be in the, man, I'm really busy. I'm bu I, bu I just don't know how to... I've been trying, brother. I really have. I, just haven't been, I haven't seen you in church recently. Well, I'd come, but man, the family just doesn't want to come. My kids just don't want to come to church. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Go up to the same guys and ask them about something in the natural realm. Did you go to the game? Yeah, buddy, right in the center, 50-yard line, it was awesome. What you working on? I'm rebuilding my Mustang, putting a new engine in, rebuilding it. I'm getting it done. And we think that sounds great. But I got the feeling that in the spiritual world, it doesn't sound like that. I don't think you know, it's like, you're my team, go Lobos, right? It sounds great down here, but I'm thinking that up in the, in, 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 in the heavenlies, when, when they're looking down and we're not investing ourselves in the eternal things, but we're doing all of this in the, in, the, in the temporary natural world, that it doesn't sound like go lobos. I think in the heavenly realm, it sounds like go lobos. <laughs> I think that's what it is. What are you doing? I'm putting a new carburetor on my Mustang. It's a four barrel. It's great. <laughs> because... God's not, I don't think God's looking down going, yeah, you're my, you're my boy. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to say that if you're spending all your energy and your resource and your time and your strength, if we are spending our strength on temporary things and we are not taking up the weightier eternal things, our guardian angels want to smack the fool out of us. 
They're up there and they're in the presence of glory and they see the face of Christ and we've, they've been given us as their charge and they're looking at us and they're going, please, one smack. <laughs> right? Because they're going, you made him. Jesus, you bled for him. You saved him. You gave him a woman way out of his league. You gave him children that look like him, yet you made it work anyway. And you've given him a call and a destiny and strength and manhood. And he spends it on temporary things that rust. Meanwhile, your kingdom fails and falls and your church is mocked. Please, Lord, one smack. Don't you think? It's time that we get serious about the things of God. We're men. We've, who's going to do it? Our, our, our babies? I mean, if you hear a bump in the night, do you elbow your wife? Hey, there's some, somebody's breaking in. Go. No, that's not what we were made for. We were made to take the hit. We were made to be the warriors. Women didn't come up with this. Men, we have it to fight the fight. We're the ones that are supposed to fight. And yet, for some reason, we cannot take the strengths that we've learned in the natural world and transfer them into the spiritual world. Not only that, our spiritual life doesn't ever seem to go and penetrate out into our secular life, does it? You see, we can be really spiritual uh, and, and faithful in our worship on Sunday morning, but what about on Monday morning in the workplace? How's our, how's our worship then? You see, we can be really faithful on Wednesday night, but how about Friday night when we're playing? How about in our recreation? How is our worship then? You see, we can get pretty faithful when it comes to, to our, 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 our worship and song. It's like, yeah, I was worshiping. I even, I'm, man, I, I went like that. I was good, right? <laughs> so we can be pretty faithful in our worship. What about our wallets? Lock the doors. <laughs> what about our wallets, men? Do you realize that less than a tithe of the church tithes? Less than 10% gives 10%. And if there's somebody out there and it's going through your mind that, wait a minute, 10% is never mentioned in the New Testament, you're absolutely right. In the New Testament, it says they sold all that they had and distributed it as any might have need. New Testament says 100%. We're just going to go easy and start with 10. <laughs> but we don't get 10. The church is existing on less than a tenth of a tenth. 1%, maybe 2%. Look what we're doing. We've got a church and yeah, we keep the lights on and we minister and we do funerals and we do weddings and we, and we counsel marriages and we, we deal with suicides and we, and we try to raise up youth and we teach the word of God and we give out food on 1%, 2%. What would happen if the church was faithful to tithe? What would we do with 10%? I think we would do what we were always supposed to do. We would be the ones teaching our children. We would be the ones taking care of the sick. It was never given to the government to take care of health care. That's not the government's job. 
It is the church's responsibility to take care of the orphan and the widow. It's not the government's responsibility to take care of the poor. In fact, really, the government is only around, really, to punish the evildoer and to secure our boundaries. We're supposed to teach our children. We're supposed to take care of the poor. We're supposed to take care of those who are hurt and in need. You see, we, I don't think we can get too terribly angry, and I don't think we can point too many fingers as we see our, our beautiful, awesome country being ripped out from under us. As we see socialism creep in, and radical progressive liberals come in and try to just totally change our government. Because you know, really, they're just taking advantage of the true cause of why this nation is falling. And it's because the church is silent. And it's because we as the church and as the head have abdicated our role and we've become the tail. We can't really point our fingers. This is our job. These are our families. This is our culture. The founding fathers, man, I had an awesome, I'm going to do a little, I'm going to do a little side thing. This summer, we did something different than our normal. We used to go to Peru on mission trips. This year, we took 17 people, we put them in some RVs, and we went across the United States. We hit 26 states in 30 days, and we went all over through the United States, just, just learning about it. And every place we went, we would ask worldview questions. Questions like, who is God? Is man basically good or evil? What is the origin of evil? What's the role of government? Just worldview questions. And we would video blog it, and we put it up on a video blog. And, um, and as we went around, you know what I discovered? 80%, this is a Christian nation by far. If, if we were just to just flat foot, I'm, this is my guess, my educated guess based on this experience, um, that... 80, easily 80%, over 80% of the people, if we would have just said, are you a Christian? They would have said, yes. All right? But of that group of people, maybe 2% have a clue what they believe. They do not know what's going on. They have not, they have not applied all of the principles of the word. And so as a result, they've dropped their shields and stupid lies take them out. Because they don't understand what it is that they believe. We can't afford this anymore. We are a Christian nation, but we're to be practiced about what we believe. And what we believe should impact how we live. We can't just be faithful on Sunday morning. We have to be faithful Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in the workplace. We can't just be faithful Wednesday night. We need to be faithful Friday night and Saturday night and in our playgrounds and in our play and in our recreation. We can't just be faithful in song. We have to be faithful with our wallets. All right, and sometimes we're good about being spiritual. We compartmentalize our spirituality and, and we're faithful to pray. Everybody prays. Pagans pray, it seems like. Everybody seems to pray. But what about parenting? How are we out with our parenting? Do you know your children's teachers? Do you know their friends? Have you looked at their MySpace? Have you looked at their Facebook? Do you know what they say? Do you know what makes them tick? You see, we've let every fruit nut and acorn into our schools to teach our children. <laughs> and they're stealing them. They're stealing their minds and they're stealing their hearts by corrupting them. And what are we going to do? You're going to point your finger at the school. They took away my son. My son's my responsibility. Your children are your responsibility. We're the men. 
We're the leaders. We fight. And we fight until we quit breathing. We have to continuously take up the shield of faith. It says, in addition to all, or above all, every part of the armor is critical, but it's the shield that ties it together. It is faith in the truth of the word. It is faith in the righteousness of Christ. It is faith in the gospel of Jesus that causes us to be able to move forward and to advance against the enemy. We are supposed to be living our faith in every arena. We've learned how to succeed in the natural. We need to transfer that into the spiritual, men. We've learned how to be faithful in our spiritual life. We need to now recognize that all of our life is our spiritual life. 24-7, our work life is our spiritual life. Our play is our spiritual life. Our marriages is our spiritual life. Our children are our spiritual life. Everything is spiritual. For you see, it is our faith that is the evidence, right? Hebrews 11.1, 1, for faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. Every shield is usually painted and decorated. Do you know, it basically proclaims, this is what side I'm on right? Imagine, imagine the sheer power of influence. You're standing in your castle and the horizon changes color. The horizon goes red because there's just a line of shields and they start walking forward. You're thinking, wow, am I on the right side? You see, this nation should be seeing a shield of colors. There's 500 in here right now. Tell me, 500 men on fire in their faith, living it, wouldn't change this place. That would be a pretty influencing event, wouldn't it? You see, we're to be an evidence. We are to be proclaiming Jesus Christ in every aspect of who we are. We are the warriors. We are the army of God. Remember, Jesus says, when my Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. Not maybe, you shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in your families, in Judea, in your sphere of influence, in Samaria, amongst your enemies, and to the remotest part of the earth, even the people you don't even know. You are an influence on all of them. You are a witness for Jesus Christ. We must be living our faith because that's what penetrates. The world is spiritually hungry, isn't it? You can see it. Everywhere we went as we went around the country, everywhere we went, every town has ghost tours. How stupid is that? Ghost tours everywhere. Have you looked on TV? It's like psychic and medium and whisperer of the dead and all of that. All of the, what's, all the programs are about bad spirituality, aren't they? The world's looking for spiritual answers. What they need is they, they want to see a faith that makes a legitimate difference in someone's life. What they need to see is somebody who's walking the same path that they're walking on, but what they need to see is Jesus in 3D right in the middle of their life. And that's you and me. You see, we bring Christ and we bring his truth and we bring his kingdom and we bring his principles to action on this planet right in front of everybody so that and we live it we actually live it 
So somebody says, why are you different? Because I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Look at my bank account. I'm a Christian. Look at my computer history. I'm a Christian. Go ask my wife. I'm a Christian. Ask my children. I'm a Christian. Ask my boss. I'm a Christian. Ask the IRS. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian all the time. Why are you different? Jesus Christ, you need him. You mean it makes a difference? Yeah, it makes all the difference. If we would be living our faith out in front of people, the world will change. It's the promise of God. I heard it say, let me quote the lady because I want to give her credit. Edith Hamilton said something cool. She said, faith is not belief. Belief is passive. Faith is active. Did you catch that? Faith is not belief. Belief is passive. Faith is active. Satan got in with a dirty bomb, and he said, faith is just mental assent. It's just believing that something's true. No, faith is grabbing a hold of truth and living it out in our life. Faith has feet. Faith has breath. Faith has eyes and a tongue. Faith changes things. We've been given a command, and it's a military command. The Lord says, occupy until I come. Occupy is a military term. It means take charge, rule, take over. That's what we've been called to do to take over and you know the coolest part about it I used to like on the armor of God like I'm always on object lessons I'm always thinking about objects and really I kind of you know I kind of brush the shield aside because you know I like the sword I don't know why I didn't get the sword this time but I got the shield but um, um, but I wasn't you know I wasn't the biggest fan of the shield because I'm thinking well the shield is like defensive no did you remember the picture the shield made the testudo, the tortoise. Do you know what the purpose of the tortoise was? To make it to the gate. Why is that important? Because Jesus said, for upon this rock I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And sometimes we think, oh man, Satan's attacking me. Hell is, all hell is attacking me. A gate doesn't attack. A gate is a defensive structure, isn't it? So when he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail, the picture isn't that the church is running and these gates are chasing it. <laughs> the picture is Satan is, is, is putting gates and walls up around people's minds as fast as he can, around our kids' minds as fast as he can. And he says, we're supposed to go up and kick them in. We're supposed to go up and tear them down. We are here the invading force. Jesus invaded. We are supposed to be taking ground. The shield is to get you to the gate. They can throw anything, Satan can throw anything he wants. And if we are taking up the shield of faith and trusting in the truth of the Bible, that the Bible is true, that God is holy, that sin is wicked, that heaven and hell are both real, and that man is a sinner and he's in need of salvation then we're going to make it right up to the gates where we can kick them in with the truth and we can set the captives free in the power of Jesus Christ. That's what we've been called to do, to occupy, to take command. That is our role. 
We've got to wake up to it. Because Rome might be right. It might be tomorrow that the Lord comes back, which means we better hustle. But if it's not for 50 years that he comes back, then we better raise up another generation of warriors. Our sons better be strong. Our grandsons better be strong. Because if we're not going to do that, then you might as well just high-five the guy next to you and just say, we did it. We're the last generation. We're the last ones. But that's not true because we know the book of Esther. Do not think that if you hide, that you'll be exempt from the attack. Don't think that if you camouflage yourself and wash out into the rest of society that you will not be taken, that you will not taste the bitterness of this sin. And the Lord, he'll raise up his salvation from somewhere else. But how do you know that you are not placed here for such a time as this? And we need to stand up. I don't believe that an immense thing I'm talking about, about Esther, but we need to be able to stand up. Esther said it, she's pretty good term. And if I perish, I perish. And if I die, I die. So may the Lord remind us. We've been given a shield because we are at war. Satan is flinging dirty bombs at us that aren't even all that intelligent. And that it's not the size of the shield that matters. God did not shortchange us. It's the object of our faith that is important. And because of that, we've got everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. But we need to be practiced in taking it up. And we need to take that which we've learned in the, in the secular realm and we need to apply it to our spiritual realm. We need to be victorious in the spiritual realm. And our spirit life needs to penetrate every other aspect of our life. And we should be living out loud that the world might see that Jesus is Lord.